Howdy, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to the Jeffersonian Tradition. Before we get started, I have a couple of things to go over. I want to keep bringing y'all high-quality content, but I cannot do that without your support. So please, help buy me a cup of coffee every month and join the Ward Republic by chipping in $5 per month through the supporting listener link in the show notes page. I am not part of a fancy podcasting network, and I don't like the restrictions that come along with certain advertising campaigns. So I am coming to y'all with my hat in my hand. So please help me keep this show going and keep it independent by doing your part and chipping in. If you're not comfortable with a recurring contribution model, I do also have a Cash App profile for the show. So one-time contributions can be sent there. And all of this information is listed in the show notes page as well. And don't forget that Ward Republic membership includes a monthly video conference with myself and the other Ward Republic members. And support monetary freedom today and head over to our sponsor at www.defythegrid.com to purchase your gold bags. I have an affiliate link in the show notes page, and if you use it, I will get a 1% commission, so that'll also help keep the show going. So click on my link in that show notes page and fuel monetary decentralization today. And if you aren't on MeWe yet, then seriously, what are you waiting for? Unlike a certain other social media platform, MeWe respects the right to free speech and offers a privacy bill of rights. So if you'd like to be a member there, then download the MeWe app and search for me at the username Mr. Jeffersonian. The show group is private, so we must be contacts before I can send you the group invite. With all of that fun stuff out of the way, let's now turn our attention to the topic for today's episode. All right, so today we are going to take a break from the deep history stuff that we've been covering recently, and we're actually going to cover something that's going on right now and kind of ties into both judicial incorporation and the problem with business corporations overall, at least in my opinion. So if y'all got a chance to hear my appearance on the Conservatarian Exchange podcast with Rabbi Stephen Axelman, I brought this issue up on that episode. We have some differences of opinion, uh, my, myself and the host, but I wanted to talk about this more in depth on our show because I feel that this case is really important to kind of highlight some of the issues of the Hamiltonian system. So the case is Seattle's Union Gospel Mission v. Woods. And what's going on, it says, the U.S. Supreme Court refused on March 21st to hear an appeal from a Christian mission that argued it cannot be forced to hire someone who disagrees with its beliefs, although two conservative justices left open the possibility of revisiting the case, which is still in progress before a lower court. Now, before we get into the weeds too deep here, I'm going to go on the record right off the bat and say the only right answer for the Supreme Court is to say we do not have authority to hear this case. This is a state issue. We are not going to nationalize this problem. City of Seattle or state of Washington, you figure it out and you deal with it because it's not within our purview. We have no dog in this fight. That's my opinion. But let's read through some of this and then we'll go more in depth on some of the explicit details here. Okay, and so first we're going to discover who are the actors in play here. So Seattle's Union Gospel Mission is a nonprofit that exists to preach the Christian gospel. Its employees must share and live out the mission's beliefs by meeting the needs of the homeless and evangelizing to them according to the group's petition filed with the, with the court. And the plaintiff is a guy named Matthew Woods. So in 2016, respondent Matthew S. Woods, a former summer intern and mission volunteer, applied for a staff attorney position with its legal aid clinic with the stated intent of changing the mission's religious beliefs and without satisfying the prerequisites of regular church attendance, a pastor's recommendation, and an explanation of his relationship with Jesus, the petition states. 
According to Alito's sum- summary of the facts, Woods informed the clinic that he was bisexual and in a same-sex relationship. The clinic's director told Woods he wasn't able to apply and suggested he apply to a secular legal aid clinic. Unsatisfied, Woods applied for the mission position to protest its employment policy. In his cover letter, he said the mission should change its religious practices, but Woods was denied the job and he sued, claiming the mission violated state law, which forbids discrimination against sexual orientation in employment decisions. And so just a quick pause here. So I don't understand if you have a person who knows that a particular location does not really want to do business with them, hire them, whatever. I I don't understand why they always feel the need to run and get the state involved. I I will say that as well. But be that as it may, this is one of the first problems. Because this organization incorporated under state law, they are completely subject to the strings of the state. Now, Washington State just so happens to have a public accommodation or non-discrimination law in the books. So the risk that this organization runs is, yes, they can still say, no, we, we still refuse to change this, but then the state of Washington can just revoke its charter, or not even revoke its charter, but it can just take away some of the legal privileges it gets, like the tax-exempt status. The state can revoke that because you, Seattle's Union Gospel Mission is a 501c3. They are registered federally and with the state. Therefore, they have gotten in bed with the state, sought out certain protections and exemptions from the state, and they are now bound by that. This is a really big problem with churches and religious associations deciding to seek the benefits of the corporate form. The historical norm for a church or a religious organization was to actually be organized as a trust. Now, the difference with that is a trust is something that's organized for private pursuits, versus a corporation is something that is specifically recognized to be some sort of business pursuit. Now, you can have nonprofit corporations. That's essentially what a 501c3 is. They are a corporation that has said, hey, yes, we are organized as a business. We will have certain business pursuits, but ultimately our goal is not to make a profit. Now, that's debatable because you have institutions like credit unions who are 501c3s, and they most definitely do make an accounting profit but they're still exempt from taxes and things of that nature versus with trust. Again, those are specifically organized to pursue private ends. So that's, that has been the historical organizational form of a church. If it has any sort of legal recognition, it is recognized as a trust, not a corporation. Now, starting in probably about the mid-1980s, churches really started to pivot away from this, and they saw the corporate form as a way to take advantage of other benefits that they didn't think the trust would provide. Specifically, they wanted limited liability. Well, with the trust, they already had that because in common law, trusts are already recognized. You, you can't sue the beneficiaries of a trust. You can go after the trustees. You can go after the assets within the trust, but you can't actually go after the beneficiaries of the trust unless they have done something wrong, but then you're suing them personally and not the trust. So big difference there. And again, This all started changing in about the mid-1980s. They started getting advice from these big-name attorneys, and they started seeking the benefits of the corporate form and turned themselves into yet another organization of the state. But back to the article here. It says, A state trial court ruled for the mission, recognizing it as exempt from a state non-discrimination law. The Washington Supreme Court disagreed, determining that the exemption violated the state constitution and allowed the case to go forward. 
The Washington Supreme Court found a material question of fact remains concerning whether the mission staff attorneys qualify as ministers under the First Amendment and remanded the case for the trial court to determine whether staff attorneys can qualify as ministers. Okay, and so here's another issue. The First Amendment should not have factored into this at all. The only legal document that the Washington Supreme Court and Washington State Trial Court should have been referencing was the Washington State Constitution. They should not have been looking at the First Amendment at all because, again, the Bill of Rights does not apply to the states. Baron v. Baltimore told us that, and the Slaughterhouse cases told us that, even after the passage of the 14th Amendment. That's where myself and the co-host from the Conservatarian Exchange differed. He did not buy into the Slaughterhouse interpretation of the 14th Amendment, whereas I do. So we have a situation where the state Supreme Court is wholeheartedly incorporating the federal First Amendment and saying, well, look, we have this, and we don't know if you necessarily qualify for that. Now, there's another issue at play here, too. Corporations don't have rights of conscience. They, they don't have a soul. Even religious ones, they don't have a soul. So when you incorporate, again, you are becoming a tool of the state. You are becoming a lackey of the state. What the state giveth, the state can take it away. And so corporations don't have rights of conscience. They cannot say this violates the corporate belief system because corporations inherently don't have a belief. Now, the individuals who are acting as officers of the corporation or the individuals associated with the corporation, yeah, they have all those things, but you would have to go after them individually and take them to court individually to get at the issue there. Whereas, again, the corporate form itself, it is an artificial legal person. It has no rights of conscience. And it's debatable to the extent to which it should have property rights, but it definitely does not have rights of conscience. You cannot sit there and say, state, give me all the benefits that you deem worthy to confer on me, but then give me all the protections that I desire. You can't do that. Again, if you, if you play by the state's rules, you take what the state's going to give you or take away from you. But on the incorporation issue, this is where we can't even rely on so-called conservative justices to do the right thing here. So Justice Alito wrote that the Washington Supreme Court's decision, quote, may warrant our review in the future, but threshold issues would make it difficult for us to review this case in this posture, end quote. And then he continued, quote, the state court did not address whether applying state employment law to require the mission to hire someone who is not a co-religionist would infringe the First Amendment, end quote. Again, the only right answer here is for the Supreme Court to, to deny this case on jurisdictional grounds and say this is a Washington state issue. Washington, you figure it out. We are not going to get involved. Because what happens, let's say if the Supreme Court does take this case on, what happens if the so-called conservative majority, if we have a surprise on there, and let's say the vote flips and this decision gets nationalized across the entire United States, because we had a less than stellar judge say, hey, you know what? Actually, I see the other guy's point, so I'm going to rule in, in his favor. I'm going to vote in his favor. That's the problem with incorporation. Keep this a localized issue. Right now, hey, if Washington makes the gospel mission do this, it sucks. It sucks for them if they don't want to do it. But at the same time, you keep it localized in Washington. You're not going to have that spread, definitely not to Alabama or anywhere in the Bible Belt. So, again, the only right answer is for the Supreme Court to deny this case completely on jurisdictional grounds. It's already gone through Washington state court system all the way up to the highest state court in the state of Washington. That's it. It sucks, but the gospel mission lost this case. 
But Alito didn't even leave it there. And this is kind of the libertarian nationalist approach where you're going to legislate liberty from the top down or demand liberty from the top down. So he went on to say, quote, if states could compel religious organizations to hire employees who fundamentally disagree with them, many religious nonprofits would be extinguished from participation in public life, perhaps by those who disagree with their theological views most vigorously, end quote. And then he went on to say the Washington Supreme Court's decision, quote, to narrowly construe, end quote, the religious exemption in state law to avoid conflict with the Washington Constitution may have created a conflict with the federal Constitution. Again, no, it does not, because the Bill of Rights does not apply to the states. The Bill of Rights does not apply to the states. Baron v. Baltimore, John Marshall, the ultra-nationalist, told us that. So the only document in question here is Washington State Constitution and I guess some statutory law regarding the discrimination law of the state or non-discrimination law of the state. So actually, let's see what Washington State Constitution has to say on the issue of religious freedom. So this is from Article 1, Section 11, Religious Freedom. Absolute freedom of conscience in all matters of religious sentiment, belief, and worship shall be guaranteed to every individual and no one shall be molested or disturbed in person or property on account of religion. But the liberty of conscience hereby secured shall not be so construed as to excuse acts of licentiousness or justify practices inconsistent with the peace and safety of the state. No public money or property shall be appropriated for or applied to any religious worship, exercise, or instruction, or this article shall not be so construed as to forbid the employment by the state of a chaplain for such of the state custodial, correctional, and mental institutions, or by a counties or public hospital district's hospital, healthcare facility, or hospice, as in the discretion of the legislature may seem justified. No religious qualification shall be required for any public office or employment, nor shall any person be incompetent as a witness or juror in consequence of his opinion on matters of religion, nor be questioned in any court of justice touching his religious belief to affect the weight of his testimony. And so notice in there, nowhere does it say that a corporate entity has the right of conscience. It says very specifically individuals have the right of conscience. Now, the modern trend has been to say, well, a corporation is nothing more than an association of individuals. That is not true. It is its own legal entity. It has rights of property, but it does not have rights of conscience. So even the people who make up a corporation should not be trying to impose their own beliefs on a corporate entity, in my opinion. We don't like it when secular institutions do that. Look at what Coke's been doing. Look at what a couple of other big-name corporations have been doing. We don't like that. So the church should not have sought the benefits conferred on it by the state by incorporating and then you get the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a public interest law firm who was representing the mission in this case, who allegedly found some sort of a silver line. And they said, quote, churches and religious organizations have the First Amendment right to hire those who share their beliefs without being punished by the government. End quote. John Birch, a former Michigan solicitor general who is now senior counsel and vice president of, the, of appellate advocacy at ADF, told the Epoch Times in an email statement. And then he went on to say, quote, that's why even though the Supreme Court decided not to take this case yet, we are pleased to see the statement from some of the justices on the court saying that the Washington Supreme Court's decision may warrant our review in the future once the case reaches a later stage of litigation. Courts have consistently recognized that a religious organization's purpose will be undermined if the government forces it to hire those who do not share and live out the group's beliefs, end quote. 
And so I'm just going to repeat myself here. But again, corporations and corporate forms do not have rights of conscience. And that is explicitly why churches should not incorporate. Churches should organize themselves as trust as they historically did and take the benefits of the trust because, again, trusts are organized for private pursuits. They are not going to be subject to the same regulatory scrutiny as a corporation, which is a state-created entity. And if you're a Christian, then you ultimately have to face the reality that you are setting yourself up for a conflict between service to two conflicting sovereignties, church and state. So what's going on is with churches seeking all the benefits of the corporate form and taking all the state's handouts, they've essentially set up an imperium in imperio, which means a government power or sovereignty within another government power or sovereignty the ultimate result of this is going to be a power clash because, again, the state is going to say, look, church, we gave you all these benefits, we can take it away. Versus if the church does not incorporate or if the religious organization does not incorporate, then the state can't really say that because the state didn't give it so-called life but through the stroke of a pen. So we're going to read something from Gary North here. Gary North wrote a really, really good article several years ago against church incorporation. So we're just going to read a very short extract from this, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. But he says, The issue of church incorporation is now Bowden. The courageous stand taken by Everett Sylevin and other Nebraska pastors against the illegitimate extension of state power over the churches reminds us that the churches have already gone too far in their capitulation to the state. The state's officials claim that each step into the arms of the state is minimal or just a matter of record keeping, and before we know it, the state controls the churches in innumerable ways. Church leaders are capitulating step by step. The result is the transfer of sovereignty from the Church of Jesus Christ to the messianic bureaucratic state. Those few far-sighted principled church leaders who dare to resist may find themselves in jail as Cy Levin has and as Robert Gelstorp has. Now is the time for Christians to reconsider the question of the two sovereignties, church and state. This means that church leaders must reconsider the almost automatic process of incorporating their churches. Lawyers almost invariably recommend this. So do most local officials, except in Virginia, where by the grace of God, it is illegal for churches to incorporate. And if you want to look further into that and kind of the history behind that, I would actually suggest looking into the Parsons cause, but... Anyway, back to the article, it says, But is it wise to follow the advice of lawyers in every case? Is it wise to comply with this request of local or state officials? And why are they so interested in getting churches to incorporate anyway? Why is it so very convenient for them? Why not just create a trust with a board of trustees, as all churches do in Virginia? And then one final excerpt from this particular article by Gary North. He says, We never get something for nothing in the affairs of civil government. As Rush Dooney noted in 1970, quote, since limited liability was in effect a state subsidy to commercial firms at the expense of the public, it was inescapable that what the state subsidized, the state would eventually control, end quote. This is exactly how the state's officials view incorporation today. Some of Pastor Silevin's persecutors have stated this openly. He was told by one judge that since the state of Nebraska incorporated his church, the state has a right to establish laws to regulate any aspect of his church. Silevin went to jail to uphold the sovereignty of the local church against just this sort of argument on the part of public officials. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today, but two main takeaways for today's episode. One, judicial incorporation is awful, and this case should not be reviewed by the Supreme Court because they do not have jurisdiction over this. This is simply a state issue for the state of Washington. 
But two, churches need to stop making themselves subservient to the state or creatures of the state by seeking incorporation. Stick with the historical form of the church, which which was a trust organized for private pursuits or religious organizations, because the gospel mission is not per se exactly a church, but stick with the historical organizational form, which would be a trust. Stop making yourself beholden to the state. Just stop doing that. But thank you all again for your time and for tuning in. Please remember, if you find value in the podcast, to consider becoming a supporting listener. And don't forget to help fuel the Jeffersonian revolution by using the link in the show notes page to purchase your goldbacks today. And all right, with another episode in the books, thank you again for tuning in, and I will talk to you all next time.